is laid on your heart. Thank you so much. Um, it is really wonderful to be with you guys today for many reasons. First of all, it's just so wonderful to realize um, that we are a global church, <laughs> um, that uh, especially during this season where it feels like our communities are so small, to just know that you know all over um, this island, all over this country and this world, people are gathering and worshiping God together. And the second reason that it's really lovely to be here today is because I actually get to see faces. Um, my church in Victoria, we are only doing um, live stream services, and so that means whenever I have to speak, have to speak, whenever I speak, um, I speak directly to a camera, and I have like a little box that I can have to stick to. So it is really wonderful to see you guys, even if it is just your eyes. <laughs> Um, but today I want to uh, share a story with you, and it's a story that's actually been told for generations, and it's a story of two men, one who finds himself in a desperate state in need of someone's care, um, and the other one who sees this man, and although he has no obligation to stop and care for this man, he does. And from this simple story, organizations have been formed um, to kind of carry on the work of that compassionate man. And laws have been in, put in place in order to protect the compassionate man in case there was any harm done in his attempt to provide care. Um, and his name has kind of become this everyday name that is used to describe anyone who follows his example. So if you haven't guessed already, this man is the Good Samaritan. And so whether it's a Sunday school class or it's the five o'clock news, a Good Samaritan is anyone who shows kindness and charity. And it's become such a familiar phrase that I think a lot of people who use it may not actually know where it came from and may not know the author of this story. And so the moral of the story can sound simple and easy to accept, but the storyteller would the exact opposite of that, right? He was uh, a radical, and his message was uncomfortable and sometimes even offensive. So when I was studying this, I was just not convinced that this story could simply be encouraging charity. Um, and so my hope today is that as we explore this story, um, that we're not only going to gain insight about what it can teach us about kindness and compassion, um, but that we'll also learn more about the author of this story, the radical who shared this story first. So before we get into it, um, let me just pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you that you speak to us and that these stories that were written down so many years ago um, are living and active, and that we can hear your words, that we can hear your heart, that we can hear your lessons through this ancient book. Um, God, I do thank you that your spirit is alive and active, that it is within each of us, and that you do want to speak to us in a fresh and new way today. So, God, I just pray that we will have the ears to hear and the heart to respond um, to whatever you are wanting to share with us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story of the Good Samaritan is found in only one of the Gospels. It's found in the book of Luke, um, chapter 10. And in verse 25, we're introduced um, to two men entering into a conversation. 
So it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So we have Jesus. (laughs) We have this expert in religious law. And if you guys have read through the Gospels, you'll probably know that whenever there is an expert in religious law around, he's usually up to no good. (laughs) And this one, actually, we know for sure that he's up to no good because it says that he came to test Jesus. Uh, So the question that he was asking was actually a really good question. And he was asking exactly the right person. Um, But he had the wrong intent, right? He genuinely didn't want to know what was required for him to have eternal right relationship with God. He, he wanted to trap Jesus. He wanted to trick him. Um, he wanted to make him look foolish or maybe even guilty of a crime. And so Jesus is quite smart, and so he replies with a question. And it says, he, um, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So he looks to the expert in the law and he says, instead of me giving an answer, you tell me. You're the expert. What do you see in scripture? What does the law say about inheriting eternal life? And so the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so here he's actually quoting two parts of the law. And Jesus himself in Matthew 22, he says that those two parts, loving God and love your neighbor, loving your neighbor, are, um, they summarize the entire law. And so Jesus replies, right, do this and you will live. And I know we dismiss the kids, but I think even the kids could tell us, that's not the right answer, right? How do we inherit eternal life? They would say Jesus, partly because that's always what they say, but that's actually the answer, right? If you look at Ephesians 2.9, it says that salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast. Um, Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, And so Jesus and the apostles made it really clear all through the New Testament that there is only one way to receive eternal life, and it's through grace. It's by grace. It's through faith in Jesus. And so luckily for us, the man wasn't content with Jesus' answer, and so he asked for clarification. And in verse 29, it says that the man wanted to justify his actions So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so I don't think he had interest in changing his mind or his ways. He he wanted to prove that he was worthy of eternal life, um, that he had followed the law so perfectly that no one could ever deny him his right to eternal life. And so his question, and who is my neighbor, was just dripping with arrogance and self-righteousness. Um, But Jesus is patient, and he replies with this famous parable. He says, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. 
But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And so Jesus is this amazing storyteller, and he sets up this dramatic um, scene for uh, these people listening. It starts with this man that's been beaten. Um, he's stripped of his clothes. He's thrown to the side of the road. And he's in such bad shape that there's just no hope for him unless someone comes along, right? He can't help himself. And maybe for those original hearers, they were concerned that maybe nobody was going to come. Maybe this half-dead man is soon going to be whole dead. Um, but by chance, somebody comes down the road, and it's a priest. It's a man who knows the law so well. He knows that he is to love his neighbor. Surely he will stop and help this Jewish man lying on the side of the road. But Jesus continues his story and says that he doesn't stop In fact, he actually moves to the other side of the road and walks past. And before you judge him too harshly, because this is a made-up story, maybe there's a good reason that he didn't stop. You know, maybe the priest was on his way to another poor soul in a more desperate state. And maybe this isn't a reflection of his heart, but maybe it's just a reflection of the reality that you just can't help everybody, right? Um, or maybe he's coming back from helping somebody and he's just so physically and mentally exhausted that for his own health, um, he probably shouldn't stop. So whatever the case may be, um, this priest did not stop. He did not love his neighbor and he walked on past. And for this poor soul on the side of the road, it was as if his only hope was kind of fading into the distance. But a miracle happens, and another person comes around the corner, and this is a temple assistant, and he may not be an expert in the law, but he is sure to be familiar with it. He knows that he is to love his neighbor. Um, But just like the priest, he moves to the other side of the road, and he walks on past. And so these two men, they're representatives of the law, this system that was put in place to... um, bring people into right relationship with God. It's failed. They have not loved their neighbor, and it seems like all hope is lost. But Jesus continues the story, and he says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And so to fully appreciate this story, we have to understand the relationship between um, Jews and Samaritans, between the man on the side of the road and this Samaritan man who was walking towards him. Um, Verse 33 kind of hints on that relationship, that it wasn't a positive relationship. And in fact, Samaritans were a despised group of people by the Jews, and This hatred of Samaritans was so ingrained in the minds of Jews that nobody really questioned it. It reminds me of um, 
I was teaching a preschool class a few years ago, and one evening, um, little Emily did something that really bothered Caleb. And I remember it happened in just a few split seconds, but I remember watching Caleb's face and watching this three-year-old rack his brain to come up with just the worst thing he could ever say to Emily to inflict the most pain on her. And I, I cautioned him not to do anything, but it was too late. And all of a sudden, he lifted his fist and said, you're dead, and he popped her on the top of the head. And I, after watching that, I thought, no, this three-year-old doesn't understand what he said. He's not actually threatening her. But your dead was worse than your ugly, was worse than your stupid. It was the meanest thing that he could think of to say to Emily. And in my mind, that's what it was like for a Jewish person to call somebody a Samaritan. It was just the worst thing that they could say And so that was the relationship between these two characters that Jesus was bringing together. He was purposeful in choosing this last man to come down the road to be a Samaritan. And so this Samaritan who has no obligation to stop and help, he's been shown nothing but disdain by people like this man on the side of the road. His family has um, been shown nothing but disdain we probably wouldn't blame him for just continuing down the road, right? But this isn't what we see happen. Um, Instead, the Samaritan, he sees the Jewish man lying there, and it says that his first reaction was compassion. And that struck me because how can a man who is treated so unfairly, who's family was treated so unfairly, how could his gut reaction be compassion? Um, I, I think he would be justified in maybe finding a little satisfaction <laughs> in seeing the pain in the man, you know, maybe whispering under his breath, like, serves you right. Um, but no, compassion was his first response. And the feeling of compassion, he led him to stop and help the man. And using his own supplies, he um, sanitized, he bandaged the man's wounds, he lifted him on to his own donkey, he took him to an inn, and it didn't stop there. Then he cares for him all night. Um, in the morning, he goes to the innkeeper, and he gives him some money, saying, you know, use this and care for this man. And if that's not enough, that's okay. Do whatever is necessary, and I will come back, and I'll reimburse you for whatever you use. And this story is starting to get uncomfortable. Like, this is a bit ridiculous and unwise to show this amount of love and compassion to a stranger. But Jesus finishes his story, and he looks at the expert in the law, and he asks, now... Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Was it one of the two men who knew the law best? You know, who would have been proud of their good works and confident that they had done everything that they needed in order to inherit eternal life? Or was it the despised Samaritan? And the expert in the law, he could really only answer one way, right? (laughs) And so he replied, the one who showed mercy. And so this man, this expert in the law, he had completely failed. Um, He had failed in his attempt to 
trap Jesus, but he had also failed in his attempt to justify himself. Because did you notice that Jesus didn't even answer his question. He had asked, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And Jesus answers a more important question. He answers, what does being a neighbor who loves look like? Um, The expert in the law, he was focused on determining who he was to love, who he didn't have to love, who wasn't deserving of love. And he didn't actually think about what that love was supposed to look like, and and Jesus makes it quite clear, right? That love is supposed to be extravagant. It's supposed to be lavish. It's supposed to be unbiased. That's what loving a loving neighbor is to do, and loving like that is going to earn you eternal life. And so Jesus tells the man, yes, you are correct in saying the one who showed mercy was the neighbor in this story. Now, go and do the same. Go and love just as a Samaritan did. Um, So, let's make it really personal. Have you guys ever loved a neighbor like that? Actually, more specifically, have you ever loved an enemy like that? I don't know if I have. I'm certain that there are some here, maybe all of you, who have loved like that. You guys look like very loving people. Um, but I'm certain that even if we like gathered the most loving out of all of you, this is not how you treat everyone. This is not how you love everyone all the time, right? So I'm very sorry to tell you, but none of us are going to inherit eternal life. Let me pray. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure you're listening, because no, that's not how it can end, right? But that is how the story ends. We don't ever hear about how this expert in the law replied. Um, We don't ever hear from him again, actually. And so, this is the fun part, because we get to imagine what happens next. And I see it going one of two ways. First way, I think um, the expert in the law could have walked away sad. There's another story that Luke um, has recorded in a few chapters about a, a wealthy young man who comes to Jesus asking this very same question, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus explains to him what he must do, he walks away sad because he knows he can't do it. And so I think this expert in the law could have done the same thing. He could have walked away disheartened and frustrated. I think there's a second option, too. <laughs> I think this expert could have come to Jesus and fallen to his knees and said, oh, please, there has to be another way because I know myself and I know I can't love like that. I can't love so extravagantly. I can't love in such an unbiased way. Please tell me there is another way. And then maybe Jesus would have said, yes, expert in the law, (laughs) there is another way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Because in this man's striving, in his justifying, he actually missed out on this incredible gift that was standing right in front of him. 
This extravagant love that was being required of him was standing right there. Because Jesus is the only one who's ever really looked like the Good Samaritan, right? Um, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, it's prophesied um, that Jesus was going to be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and he looked the other way. He was despised. And we did not care. So Jesus, he was despised by mankind like that Samaritan man. But he demonstrated a love like no other because he didn't just give his supplies and his donkey and his time. He gave his very life so that we could have life and life eternal. <laughs> Romans 8, 3 to 4 says that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So we know we were and we are undeserving of God's love, but he saw us lying half dead on the side of the road in need of care, and he showed us mercy. And we were helpless, we were destined to die, if not for the compassion of the one who had no obligation to stop and pick us up and bind our wounds and show us this extravagant, unconditional love. And so Jesus, as he was engaging in this conversation with this expert, he was offering him this very uncomfortable gift because he was revealing to him his inadequacies, um, his inabilities. He was showing him his own need for mercy, his own need for compassion. And so I don't think he was trying to make this expert feel guilty. And today, as we hear this story, I don't think that should be our response either. But I think what Jesus wanted for this man, and I think what he wants for us today, is that our response um, to our, our recognizing our in, own inabilities and inadequacies is humility, um, is, is surrender. Because true Christ-like compassion does require humility. It's only when we recognize our own need for God's love and compassion that we can truly love and show compassion to those around us. Because our job is not to determine who our neighbor is, Right? We're not supposed to figure out if someone is or is not deserving of compassion. Because really, who are we to have received compassion? Who are we to have received God's love? So Jesus made it clear that the question we should be asking is not, who is my neighbor, but what does being a loving and compassionate neighbor look like? We don't love, we don't give, we don't advocate, we don't defend for any other reason than the fact that those that we come into contact with, those that we may find lying on the side of the road, they are God's creation. They are deeply and lavishly and unreservedly loved by their God and their creator, just like you and I are. 
And we are not asked to love our enemies because they deserve it. (laughs) We are asked to love because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And so compassion shown with humility is compassion that is um, fueled by, um, but is also pointing to God. So God is both the, the source um, and the objective of our compassion. Because Christians, we don't have the corner <laughs> on compassion. But what we do have is this privilege of finding our source in the one who showed ultimate compassion. And then we get to represent him in everything we do. Um, so it's, it's more than kindness and charity. It's, it's the peace of God's heart that he has given to us so that we can then go out and share it with others. So what does that mean for us today? <laughs> well, maybe you're here, maybe you're listening, and you're struggling to accept that love and compassion that has been offered to you through Jesus. And, and maybe you, you understand all the facts. You know what Jesus did through the cross. Um, but you still find yourself striving to receive, um, this, to receive salvation. And you need to hear today the same message that Jesus gave to this um, expert in the law. You, joyfully, are insufficient. (laughs) But Jesus is more than sufficient. He has done everything that has ever needed to be done in order to bring you into right relationship with God. So cease striving. Maybe you're here today and there's this disconnect um, you understand that you are loved by God, but you, you can always think of reasons why somebody is not deserving of love, someone is not deserving of your time or your energy. Um, and again, I, I don't think that um, God's heart is that you walk away from here feeling guilty. Um, but today, be reminded again of what God has done for you, how undeserving you have been of receiving God's love and compassion. Um, Be humbled once again by what you have given, this gift that you had no right to receive yet was freely given to you. And I encourage all of us to pray that we would see people the way that God sees them. Um, that we wouldn't be seeking to answer this question anymore of who is my neighbor, but rather, how can I reflect the love and the compassion of the one who first loved me? Because Jesus, the true good Samaritan, wants to use you, all of you. He wants to use me. He wants to use our weaknesses. He wants to use our brokenness, our insufficiencies, to not just bring awareness to his own mercy and compassion for us, but to draw others into relationship with him as we show his love and compassion with those around us. So let me pray for all of you. Yeah, God, we do just thank you for your love and compassion. We thank you for the gift of your son that was given to us when we were still dead in our sin. And 
Yeah, I just thank you that you saw us. You saw us in exactly the state we were in. Um, not deserving of your love, not deserving of your compassion, and yet you gave it to us so freely. We thank you that um, we are insufficient, <laughs> and you still use us. Yeah. We thank you for um, the gifts that you have given us, not just for ourselves, but that you give us so much that we can be so generous with it to those around us. We thank you that you have given us the privilege of being your representatives here on earth, that as we go and we love and we show compassion to those around us, that you are um, yeah, actually revealing yourself to others through us. And so, God, we want to be um, accurate images of you. We want our love and our compassion to be uncomfortable, to be extravagant, to be unbiased, um, not because we're such good people, but because we have such a good God. Um, yeah, so we just pray that you will use us this week, that you will be uh, molding our hearts, that you will be making us more and more like you uh, so that we may be able to worship you with all our lives and that we may be able to draw others into worship of you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The structure of today's prayer comes from the Carminia Galdelica, a book of hymns and blessings gathered in Gaelic-speaking regions of Scotland between 1860 and 1909. Please join me as I lead us in prayer. God the Father, all-powerful, all-knowing Jesus, the Son of tears and sorrow, with the coexistence, O Holy Spirit, the three-in-one, ever-living, ever-mighty.